0: All right. Well, here we go. We're in week two of our study in the book of Judges. My name is Peter. If you're visiting, thank you for joining us. Uh, I I serve as the lead pastor, and I have a break from preaching today because we have a special treat for you, our very own Shadrick Lavelle Bell. I'd like you to welcome him up to the platform. Now, this is a significant moment. I usually don't have to introduce someone who's not a guest preacher. He's our own, but I want to honor Shadrick because... Many of you all know that our church began as a campus ministry. I graduated from Texas State, and the Bible study I was a part of, we started an Every Nation campus ministry out of. And Shattrick was one of the first students that came along. In fact, for a while, he just sat in the back frowning, and I was going to have a talk with him that, hey, you don't have to be here. The pizza's not that good. Uh, And he's going to share with you a little bit more about uh, what happened in his life the last nine years. But I'll tell you, It was a joy to to lead him as a student. And he went and he became a campus missionary. He served as our campus director. For the last five years, he served at Texas State. And now, this last semester, God, under his leadership, has doubled our men's campus chapter at Texas State. And Shadrick is now going to arise and go to South Austin and plant two new campus chapters out of our church at Houston Tillotson and St. Edward's. And so I want to honor Shad. Now, this is not a goodbye. This is a honoring of transition. uh, We are are gathering our church around him to support Shadrick in the months to come. You'll hear more about that. But this is going to be uh, a a transition moment for Shadrick serving at Texas State. He won't be here as much Sunday mornings in San Marcos, uh, but he is not leaving us. I want to honor him. He's going to share more about his story, but I want you to give him a hand again. Thank you.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Pete, for that nice introduction. And again, my name is Shadrick. (laughs) Um, I have the honor of serving here as the campus missionary um, for over the past five years, and living in the San Marcos area for the past 12. And so, I want to honor Pastor Peter. Um, Just thank you for your leadership, um, your friendship, and guiding me all this time throughout all these years, and allowing me to preach here today. And to your wife, who left with the kiddos, just um, her love and affection for me too, as well. Um, To my family, um, my father my mother, my sister, and my brother who are here. Um, Just thank you guys so much for loving me and um, just being family to me um, in the good and bad times, and you guys have always been there to encourage me in everything I've ever done, so I love you all. Um, To the campus staff, um, to Tessa, who's our director, um, thank you so much for just leading with strength um, and grace and uh, leading our ministry well, and to all of our staff and interns um, who also work with me on campus. Um, Over the past years, um, I really wouldn't have been able to do it without all of y'all. Our church staff, too, as well. Um, You guys have just been great to me and loving on me and being there with me. Um, Really, to all the students, everybody who's been um, allowed me to be a part of their life over all these years. So you guys really have been my heart, the reason why I get up every morning and do exactly what I do, and so I love you all very much. And really to all those who have helped me in this last season as my friends, I thank you a lot. I want to bless the mothers again today on Mother's Day, um, just honoring you today and thanking you because we literally could not be here without you. <laughs> like, you know, we got to have a mom to be born, right? <laughs> so just thank you all. And I know my mom, she had, she was pushing a lot happened with me. I'm not a a small kid, man, so just just thank y'all, and we're just going to keep going in today's sermon, so that's the reason why we're here. (laughs) She went through a lot with me, so cool. So today we're going to continue in our study of the book of Judges. If you're taking notes today, tonight's message is entitled Arise, and so there is one statement that's going to embody this entire sermon. It would be this, is that God uses unlikely leaders to bring forth his plan of redemption. God uses unlikely leaders to bring forth his plan of redemption. Now, before we get into chapter four of Judges, I'm going to give a brief explanation of the book of Judges as a whole to give us a little bit of background so we can understand um, what we're about to read, because it is a long and crazy story. So in the previous chapter, it's this book named Joshua, and there's this guy, Joshua, and his job is to lead the Israel Israelites and the tribes into the promised lands, and their job is to fulfill God's covenant that he placed over them. And by doing this, all the nations will begin to see, number one, who God is and what he was really like. So Judges, what we believe is actually written by the prophet Samuel, begins with the death of Joshua and begins to tell a story of Israel's total and complete moral failure. Then what happens is is that because there's all this failure in the land, God then appoints what he calls a judge to help bring redemption and hope to the people of Israel. Now, the Judges that the Bible says, according to the Scriptures, not as a judge as we would define, somebody like a judge that we would see in court. A judge was basically a tribal or military leader over that particular area. So after Joshua dies, in Judges chapter 1, we begin to see this, that there is moral corruption everywhere and it is the Israelites job to drive out the Canaanites. And so the Canaanites are these people, again, who are just completely messed up moral people. And As they are being driven out, some of their influence is still there in the land, and with their influence comes a lot of actions and a lot of behaviors that were not like the Israelites because God did not want them to live in that way. And so, through a series of miraculous events, pretty much, they obtained the promised land. But again, they're still underneath some Canaanite rule. And what we begin to see throughout the Bible and in the book of Judges is this. God appoints this leader to bring redemption, and they don't do too well. So this is the cycle. It goes like this. Israel sins, meaning they take upon the lifestyle of the Canaanites, and then they become oppressed because of their sin, meaning like, hey, you didn't do what God told you to do, so God's like, all right, I'm just going to bring a little bit of oppression on you. They find out this is not a good thing to do, so they repent And then God calls up a judge to help bring redemption and hope to the land. And by his spirit, he empowers them. But at the end of the day, they would end up sinning again. This cycle would happen for every single judge throughout the book of Judges. And as time progressed, each judge went from okay to worse to they absolutely sucked. It is horrible. There's There's really no other way of saying that. But what we get to do today is that we get to talk about one of the pretty decent judges, and then it's Pastor Peter and Joshua's job to talk about um, all the horrible judges. So, but today's message is to bring a sense of hope, and for you to begin to know is this, is that throughout your moral, moral failures in life, or throughout the mistakes you may make, that God still wants to bring redemption and hope to you. And more importantly, not only does he want to bring redemption and hope in your life, he's probably going to use you in the midst of your mistakes to be a process of that. So, we're going to get right into it and pray. So let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for being God. And thank you that we are not God. I thank you that your word is alive and it's active and it's true. There is nothing in it that is false. And it is our job to see your word as true. God, change us from the inside out. And I pray today that we would be disciples of you and not converts of our own thoughts. Dear God, help us study today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, God uses unlikely leaders to bring forth his plan of redemption. So we're going to honor God's word by staying seated. And I'm going to sit with you, So, because we're about to read a very, very long chapter. And you guys can pray for me, because some of the names in this book, it's outrageous. And so I'm not speaking in another language. I'm just trying to read their names, all right? So cool. So, Judges chapter 4, let's start off. It says, And the people of Israel again did was evil in the sight of the Lord after you had died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Heroshev Haggaiim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron. And he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Labatov, was judging Israel at the time. She, used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Raham and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent in summoning Barak, the son of Abinam, from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulon, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon." with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, surely I will go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead you to your own glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera in the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose, and Barak went to Gadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went at his hills, and Deborah went with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, was separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and pitched his tent far away as the oak in Ziananam, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak was the son of Abinam and had gone up from Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all of his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from harashiv Gaoman in the river of Kishon, And Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all of his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and he fled away on foot. He's a little coward, all right? And Barak pursued the chariots and the army Of And the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword, but Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazar, and the house of the Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. She opened up a skim of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heller, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down to the ground while he was lying fast asleep from his weariness. So he died. Pretty sure he did with a tent going in his head. And behold, Bear was pursuing Sister Jael, went out to meet him, and said, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went in the tent, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent bag in his temple. And so on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel, and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, and until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Amen. Those are some strong women. Happy Mother's Day. All right. So we're going to start at verse 1, and it reads as this. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after he had died. Now, in the introduction of last week, Pastor Peter said one statement that would embody this whole statement, because you see this statement over and over and over again throughout the book of Judges. And he said this. It says, when we lose God's viewpoint, we lose our way. Isn't it so true when we begin to do things in our mind that we view is right? It seems like complete, utter chaos breaks out into our life. It literally seems like hell breaks out, and it's because we're disobeying God. I mean, how many times have you said, I'm not going to do that again? I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to touch that. I'm not going to cuss the person out on the way to church when I'm driving and now I'm mad and I'm mad at the kids and my whole family and everything else. You say you're not going to do something over and over again and your whole entire day spirals out of control. And this is the reason why. It's because throughout the Bible we begin to see this. There's nothing that seems to make God more furious than when we begin to put something in front of him. When we begin to allow things to take his place. And what this is is a form of worship. It's idol worship. See, what that is saying is, is that I wanted to worship the created thing more than I am worshiping the creator. And we begin to see this in Judges chapter 2, that the Canaanites at the time that were in Israel were, I, were literally worshiping idols of all sorts. I mean, it was an idol of anything. It was like the idol of this stand. It's like, I'm going to worship it. Like they were worshiping any and everything. But they're not too different from us. We worship so many different things in our life. And see, because why? We were created to worship. The human heart must worship something. So it's not what, it's not really if we're going to worship, it's what are we worshiping? So the question that I have to ask you today, and I have to ask myself today, and I have to ask myself every day, is what is your heart worshiping the most? What is it? Is it your job? Is it your vehicle, your house, your marriage, your kids, your dreams, your belief, the thing that you're actually believing for? are you even worshiping that more than God? Are you worshiping your God-given dream more than God himself? See, could it very well be this? The thing that we think is right in our own sight is the very reason why we're in the position that we're in today. Now, am I saying that every trial and tribulation that you face in your life has to do with every decision that you make? Absolutely not. Because If every decision that you make was contended upon your status with Jesus, then it would completely eliminate God's sovereignty. It would completely eliminate what God has done on the cross for us. And you would begin to think that you are the savior of your own life. And usually that's what ends up happening when we make our own decisions without God's right viewpoint. In fact, most trials and tribulations are actually ordained by God, by his mercy. Even though the enemy's at work, he's using it in his mercy to do this one very thing, to draw us closer to him to make us know more about who he is. And you know what? I'll talk about that a little bit more in my life because this is, this is something that I truly believe is this, is that trials and suffering will really change your theology about who God is if you let them in the right way. And you know what? But there are legitimate moments in our life by the decisions that we make that reap a consequence that is not in our benefit, so we think. But God, in his mercy, is still using it. And you know what? The crazier thing is that God wants to use each and every one of us in the midst of our mistakes to bring redemption and hope to people. But more importantly, we're going to begin to see that as he's using us, he's actually healing things inside of us too as well. And so that's where we pick up in chapter 4. The Israelites are literally completely rebelling against God. They're worshiping idols and they find themselves underneath suffering and oppression. And the person who is oppressing them the most is this man named Sisera. Now, Sisera was the oppressor of the Israelites, and he was a powerful man. He was a powerful leader. The Bible says literally that he had over 900 chariots. So if any army of any sort would try to come against them, they're going to lose. And not only that, he was so powerful that he ruled over the Israelites for 20 years. And he was a crooked man, and he was an enslaver of the mind. Judges chapter 5 says this. It says, Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man, spoiled of dyed materials from Sisera. Now, what he is saying is this: is that when they took over the Israelites' um, territory, what Sisera would do is that he would take the Israelites' women and make them their sex slaves, and he would also make them a sex slave to their army. So basically, he was a huge sex trafficker. Now, who would God use to overthrow a man of this type of power? He started doing it with a woman named Deborah. Now, let's talk about Deborah. Deborah's actually name is B, not Queen B, not Beyonce. All right? But it says this. It says, Deborah was a prophetess who judged Israel. Now, what does that tell us if she was a prophetess? She was a woman that could hear from God. Deborah could hear from God, and she knew what God was telling her and calling her to do. You know what? And Deborah summoned Barak to go against battle against all of Sisera. Now, Barak was an Israelite commander and a general who would eventually be the one who would lead the Israelites into victory over Sisera. And not only did they defeat the Canaanites, they did it in epic fashion. It says this in Judges chapter 4, verse 16. And all the armies of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword and not a man was left, not one. I believe that God wants everything that oppresses us in our lives to fall. I don't think God wants anything that's oppressing us in life to have victory over us. Not one thing. And you know what? Some of the enemies will fall while we are living here in the land and we get to rejoice about it. But probably most of them are going to fall when we see him face to face. And that's what makes heaven so great. But the part that we have to ask today, what part do we play in this battle? And I think we can look at Judges chapter 4 and verse 9 and read this one statement to the answer to that question. Then Deborah arose. Deborah arose. But how did she arise? She arose in a way that God not only told her to, but how he called her to do it. She arose in an unlikely way that defied culture and all women's stereotypes. And more importantly, God is calling all of us to arise today in a very different way. Let me tell you this. The ministry of being different is the most beautiful thing that God can ever give you. There's nobody else in the world with your fingerprints, with your DNA. You're not meant to be like anybody else. God will call you to do different things and in different ways, but he'll call you to do alongside it with people and the way that he's told you. And this is exactly what Deborah did. Now, did she arise as some raging feminist that says, I'm the woman who can take on anything at any point and I don't need a man beside me and all these different things? Um, No, she actually didn't. So even though she was the judge of all of Israel at the time, look at the way that she identifies herself in Judges chapter 5 verse 7. She says, the villagers ceased in Israel They ceased to be, until I arose, Deborah arose as a mother of Israel. Now, how prominent is that today on Mother's Day? So many mothers in here that can do so many things that are so many, that's so powerful, that does all type of things that God's calls them to do. But she, Deborah, begins to identify herself as this, I am a mother to all of Israel. Because she knows one of the greatest callings that she could ever have is be a mother So to all our mothers again here today, in the midst of you doing so many different things and being so powerful in all that you do, thank you for still being mothers to us. And though a nation identified her as a judge, guess what? She also fully took that on too. She wasn't just saying, hey, I'm just some soft woman that that stands in the house and and cooks and cleans and, and does everything like a good woman is supposed to do. No, she's powerful and she's strong. And it says this. In verses 6 and 7, says that she commanded Barak to say, hey, go get 10,000 men by your side and let's go take this dude sister out. She knew that she was a judge. And you know what? She said, hey, let's go get it done. And guess what Barak did? He listened to her. Because every wise man knows when a woman speaks, you better listen. All right? So she held her position as a judge. But you know what? She also used a powerful man to walk alongside her. And some may think... Was was Barak a weak leader? Was there no good men at the time? Scripture doesn't say that. But what I do know is that we can pick up on some of Barak's characteristics. It says this, is that he had 10,000 men that followed him in the battle. The question I would like to ask any of us is that do you have 10,000 people that will follow you anywhere? And I'm not talking about on Twitter or Instagram. 10,000 people that will follow you anywhere to do anything. I don't think that's any of us. You know what? Hebrews chapter 11 goes on later on to say that Bert was a man of faith, that he threw out armies and different things by his side. Does any of us have our names written in the book of Hebrews about our faith? I didn't think so. So we know that this man was a great man of faith. He was a great leader because he had followers. And you know what? Deborah was smart enough to say, you know what? I want to have this strong man by my side to lead in the battle. She heard from God. And she let the man execute. it. So what does this say? It shows a balance of grace and power that Deborah has. Now, what is the tension that some of you guys may be thinking right now? Well, let's go on the most opposite ends of the spectrum. There are some that may have a little bit of male chauvinism in their heart that says, what do you mean a woman can do this and that and she's not called to do this or thing?" Or you could be this raging feminist that says, I can do anything I want and I don't need a man around me. You know what? I think Deborah is a perfect example of somebody who knew who she was, what did God call her to do, and more importantly, who she was called to do it with. And she didn't step outside the bounds of any of those things. And when she chose to identify herself, she chose to identify herself in the strongest thing anybody could ever be called, and that's a strong mother. Now, that's a strong woman that's not hell-bent over a title but can execute what God's saying. A woman that's strong enough to say, you know what, I want to be a mother, but a woman who's also strong enough that can look at a man's face and say, I'm going to call out the destiny and greatness inside of you, what God's called you to do. I think any smart man will want that type of woman in their life. So the Bible does give us clear stances about certain ministry positions in the New Testament that we must follow according to this passage. But even in the Old Testament, when so many people think, well, can a woman do this or can they not do this? Really, this story really destroys every single argument that's ever been said by someone that says that God will not use a woman to do powerful, mighty, and great things. But beyond all that, what is even the bigger premise that we can look at when we look at Deborah and Barak in this story is that they arose to the call of God on their life. They arose to it. So the question that I'm asking you today is, what is God calling you to arise to do? What is God calling you to do even though you may feel unqualified? What is God calling you to do, even if the circumstances look different? I came here to say that. When you're in Christ, circumstances don't matter. See, Deborah, Barak, and the Israelites could have been worried about all the circumstances presented to them of how they weren't going to overcome this great oppressor, but they weren't worried about it. Why? Because they had a word from God, and when you have a word from God, you know that circumstances don't matter. Yeah, Sisera could have been so, said, yeah, they could have been complaining about, yeah, Sister was oppressing us for over 20 years. Yeah, we're the most unlikely leaders to be used at this time. Yeah, every judge before me has failed in their efforts to bring redemption. Yeah, the people of Israel are just acting like wild people and not worshiping God. And yeah, Sister has over 900 cherries, but you know what? God already had a victory plan mapped out for their life. He had a plan mapped out for her, and we see that in Scripture. And it says that in verse 4 in chapter 5. It says, Lord, when you went out to the you marched from the region of Eden. The earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. Now, you may say, what well, does it have to do anything? I think it's pretty, you know, out. It's like the clouds dropped water. So it was raining. So why does that have to do anything with this? The battle between the Israelites and the Canaanites were forced at the bottom of a flat plain at Mount Tabor. They weren't up in the mountain. Scripture says that literally that bear had to come down off the mountain. This is where they fought on a flat land. And you know what? That flat land... That people, when you see flat land and dirt, when rain hits it, the ground turns into mud. And chariots don't work in mud. So it doesn't matter if he had 900 chariots to fight. They don't work in mud. So literally, the Israelites were able to defeat Sisera and the Canaanites at that moment, just as much as it would be the Golden State Warriors taking out the San Marcos High School basketball team. They had no chance of winning. And you know what? God knew that they weren't going to win. That's why he allowed it to rain. Because circumstances don't matter. They don't matter. When God is for you, the circumstances don't matter. The only time circumstances matter is when you're not with God. When you're not a child of God. That's when circumstances matter. And that's why Sisera fell. But those who were chosen by God, they succeed because why? God's will will always prevail. And that is why it says in Isaiah 14 and 24, it says, the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so it shall be. And as I have purpose, so it shall stand. If God says it, it's going to happen. Your circumstances don't matter. Now, what matters is your obedience and God's forgiveness and mercy over your life. That's what matters. And you know what? In the midst of all the oppression, all the things that was going on over those 20 years, you know what the one thing that Deborah held on to? That word that she got from God. Could you imagine God trying to fulfill something in your life that you had to wait for over 20 years for, but she held on to it? Because circumstances don't matter. And in the midst of all that, why did God allow all this to happen? Because in his mercy, he was allowing Israel to be judged for this very purpose. It wasn't that God was endorsing any of those particular leaders. He was doing and using each and every one of those leaders to bring his people back to him. It wasn't about their goodness or what they were doing. God was using them in the good and even the bad to draw those people back to him. God, in his mercy, defeated Sisera, the oppressor over the Israelites. And God allowed Sisera to be defeated by the very thing he tried to oppress himself. He allowed himself to be—God allowed Sisera to be defeated by a woman. It says Jael drove a nail straight through Sisera's skull. And that is exactly what Scripture said that was going to happen, that Sisera was going to fall at the hands of a woman. It's a reminder to us that the very thing that we abuse in life or that we may be prideful over, God may use that very thing to humble us, if not even take us out. So now, what is the purpose of this? What is the purpose of this entire story? Israel is using and having leaders that are unexpected deliverer of God's restoration and hope. See, Deborah, Barak, and Jael became unexpected leaders to Israel at this particular time. But you know what's even greater? Jesus was an unexpected deliverer for all of mankind. See, Jesus is greater than Deborah, Jael, Barak, or any of us can ever be, even when he uses us. Jesus is greater than all of us. See, remember the cycle that I said at the beginning of this chapter, is that Israel would sin, they would come oppressed by God, Then they would say, God, I need your help because I put myself in this situation. And God would send a judge to help redeem the land. The only problem was that is that every judge that came to redeem the land, their peace that was provided and the rest that was provided at that time was rarely and was often um, fleeting, just like their repentance. The peace didn't last. Before, in chapter 3, it said that Israel had rested for 80 years. And then after this chapter, in chapter 5, it says that Israel had rested for 40 years. And so you begin to see this downward spiral that as each judge is going, there's less rest and less peace in their heart. And that is why at the book of Judges, we're going to begin to see at the end of this service, it says this in Judges chapter 21, verse 25. I'm skipping ahead into these guys' messages. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone had did right in their own sight. Literally, the Judges We're so bad that Israel said it has no king anymore. So who would God send to be the ultimate deliverer for all of humanity? He would send the only person qualified for the job. He would send himself and his son, Jesus. And see, the reason why he sent Jesus is because Jesus was a real king, and only a real king can come and redeem real problems to really flawed people and only bring real hope and real redemption to their situation. See, Jesus was probably the most unexpected deliver that the world could ever have see jesus was born in a rundown manger he was born to a virgin that's a little that's a little different i don't think that's ever happened before all right he was from a broken family that had a lineage of people who were messed up and jacked up and he could have made an excuse to say you know what everybody in my family did, didn't do this thing so so i can't do it either he came from a very poor lineage you know what? The Bible says that there was nothing attractive about him. He would probably be the least likely person to ever be chosen as king. Because you know what? The world just saw him as a carpenter. You know what? But I think he and God knew that himself, he was the only candidate qualified to be the deliverer that we needed. So God's people, you know what? At that time, began to rebel more and more. But let's look at ourselves for a second. It's not like our nation is doing much better. I think we're worshiping things more than ever. And you know what? We can tell by this political election that our leaders aren't too good to pick from. True. On either side. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? God raised Jesus up to be the ultimate deliverer for our life. See, Barrett went with Deborah on a mountain to free the people and have victory. But it was Jesus who went up to Calvary, not to have victory, but to die for all of us. See, J.L., she was not a Jew. You know what? So guess what? She didn't have anything to do with the Israelites. She didn't have to have a heart for them. But you know what? She had a heart to help free them. And she would be the one who eventually would kill Sisera. But you know what? Jesus didn't have to do anything with us. He didn't sin at all. But he looks at us and says, you know what? Those people need help. But you know what? Jesus is more greater than Jael would ever be. See, Jael, she drove a nail through Sisera's head. And you know, she killed the oppressor, but Jesus is quite different. See, what Jesus did is that he didn't drive a nail through the enemy's hand or his body. He became the one who was oppressed, and he let nails be driven through him. And he died for us. That's why the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. And that is the only way that we can have true peace. See, again, in Judges 5.31, it says that judges, well, the Israelites at the time only had rest for 40 years. But 40 years isn't enough to have peace in your life. Wouldn't you want to have peace for a lifetime? The only way you can get that is through Jesus. See, all of these figures and these judges in the Bible points to one person. It's pointing to Jesus, how he can be the only real judge of our life. And he's showing us that by his spirit, he can use anybody to bring healing to the land. But he's also showing that he can use you to bring healing into your life. See, every act of judgment that let Israel fall and be judged was an act of God's mercy. And every time we are judged for our actions, you know what? It is God's mercy that is over our lives. And we can trust and believe in this judgment because why? James chapter 2 tells us this, that God's mercy and his forgiveness triumphs over judgment. Isn't it great to know that God's forgiveness for your life is greater than you could ever be judged if you would accept him? See, this is my life story. I've lived a perpetual lifestyle of sin like the Israelites. I would sin in some way, form, or fashion, and I would be oppressed, and I'm like, okay, this is not good, and then I would cry out to God, and then he would deliver me, and now since I'm back feeling good, I would sin again. (laughs) And I do that all the time, every day. It may not, quote, unquote, be the big sin, but I'm still doing it. And you know what? Every time that God would help deliver me, it was kind of funny. He would use people to come send into my life to help bring deliverance. But ultimately, in every moment and in every trial, he would say, Shadrach, in the midst of your trials, I want to help. I want to use you in this process too. It's not so much about your problems. You're the problem, and I want to change you. So you know what? Whether it was in high school when I felt like I had this call from God and I said, you know what? I'm going to lead a Bible study and I rise up and I try to do it and nobody shows up. I said, you know what? When I get to college, I'm not going to let school get in the way of my college experience. (laughs) So you know what I did? I sinned and I sinned a lot. And you know what? This may be different for some people. Some people are like, when they get super holy and saved, they're like, oh, you know, I I sinned. That was a horrible lifestyle. Actually, I had a lot of fun. Doesn't mean that it was good. (laughs) Doesn't mean that it was good fun, but I had a lot of fun. But you know what it did? It just left me in this huge amount of oppression. It left me to the point where literally, like, I was addicted to um, messing around with women and watching things on internet sites that I shouldn't have been listening, watching and listening to things I shouldn't have been listening to. And literally to the point where God says, you know what, Shad? You don't get it. So I'm going to take football away from you. And I got diagnosed with an autoimmune neuromuscular disease. that I'm still believing God to heal me of today. And you would think that I would learn my lesson by then. But I just kept sinning and being dumb. But you know what God did in the midst of that darkness? He said, you know what I want you to do? I want you to become a minister. And I'm like, what? I didn't go to grad school for this. But the funny thing about the situation is that God had already gave me a word to do that. Matter of fact, when I was eight years old, there was a woman who came praying around the neighborhood, and when she knocked on the door, she said, young man, you're going to lead a lot of people to Christ. And I looked at her and I said, thank you, and I shut the door in her face. <laughs> but look what I'm doing now. Why? Because God fulfilled that word. It wasn't just me believing. It was him being faithful when I was faithless. And I began to see that God keeps calling me in the midst of all of my trials, and I began to look at Israel, how they cried out for over 20 years, asking God to free them. And it was this year, this past year, that I have never cried out to God more than I ever have in my life. See, it was over a year ago, the last time I preached on this stage, and when I preached on this stage, I was filled with so much hurt and anger and and things ripping through my soul that I didn't know was going on. I actually was laying on the floor, and I was shaking so hard that my parents heard me in the other room, and I had to preach that morning. And I didn't know what was going on. And it was later on at the beginning of that year that I got diagnosed with um, clinical depression. And things just began to spiral out of control. Like I lost where I was living. Because I couldn't function, I lost my job title. And I had to leave and go away to a rehabilitation clinic for pastors because I have issues. That's what people do when they have issues. And every single day, I'm, I'm still battling this. And even in that moment, like I had an abrupt change in my living situation that just hurt me. And the people that I once cared about and the things that I once cared about, I had no feelings anymore for it. And I still battled through those things. And then they found a lump on the back of my head and they thought I had cancer. And I was like, God, what is all this for? And God didn't, I felt like he didn't speak to me at all. Except one night he said this. He said, Chad, I could not leave you alone. The worst thing that could ever happen is that God will let you keep your viewpoint about yourself or your situation. But in his mercy, he began to show me that there's something off inside of you. You may be not as great as you think that you are. And you know what? It was through the midst of this trial and this suffering and the things that I'm still walking through today that God is showing me more about who he is and who I'm not. And that's the whole point of this. Yeah, God used me around the country to do many different things and lead people to Christ, but that was him using me. That had nothing to do with me myself. But he's still saying, you know what, Shad, I want to use you. You know what? And God's, God's mercy hurts. And I remember when I was sitting in that rehabilitation clinic, which I'm still actually going to tomorrow. <laughs> I remember him saying this, just speaking Psalms 119 over my life. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promises are the only thing that gives me life. It is good that I have been afflicted so that I may learn your statutes. I have learned more about God in my suffering and in my pain than I have ever learned about him in my goodness. And you know what? God is still delivering me today. And there are so many things that God is calling me to do and saying, Shadrach, arise. And one of the things he's called me to do is in the midst of all of this, I am the least qualified to be going to try to start two new campus chapters at another at another city. Or to become a minister or a pastor one day. And you know what God's saying? I want to use you because you're jacked up. And when things go good, people will be able to see, you know what? God is real. And I need more courage than ever. And I will tell you this. If you don't arise today from the thing that's oppressing you, I promise you it won't change. So you have to ask yourself, what is your sister in your life? What is the thing that's been oppressing you for your entire life that you feel like you just can't get over? You have to face it. You have to get up. You have to rise. You have to look in the face of the challenger. You have to look in the face of the enemy and says enough, enough. And you have to tell God, I need you to get me out of this. See, in the same way, that's what Deborah J.L. and Barak did. They, they arose to the occasion, but they had a word. But you know what? It was all because of this. If Jesus would eventually not arise from the dead, none of us would have victory in our life. So what, Sisera, do you have to face today? Do you feel like you're always believing for a job? but one's not coming to you when you want it? Is your marriage falling apart and you need God to step in? Are you having relational issues and dysfunction all of your life? Do you come from a line of generational curses that feel like you can't be broken from? What about that addiction, that private thing that you won't tell anybody about, that wears at your soul that you think you'll never get over? What about sickness? What do you feel like you'll never be healed? What if some of us need to arise to be the mother and father that God is calling us to? Some of us need to have faith to believe that we'll even become mothers, fathers, or husbands and wives one day. Could even be this. Maybe you're just believing for some small, like, I need to lose weight. You got to arise and go to the gym. You can't pray all fat. I know that. You can pray all day, but you got to get up and you got to arise. You have to go. And that is what God was telling me in this whole entire season. Shadrach, you can't just pray this one out. You can't just fast this one out. You got to fight. But you got to fight in my power now. Yes. And you know what I found out in this season? Is that God is more gracious to me than I could ever imagine. See, people may not be gracious to me. Or I may not even be gracious to myself. But I began to see how patient God is with me to fulfill the plan of destiny that he has in the life. And you know what? God is not in a rush from delivering me with all the issues that I have. He's been taking his slow, sweet time. But I'm thankful for it, even in the midst of it hurting. So in conclusion, you have to arise on what God is calling you to do in your life. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will never have victory over sin without him. And you know what? Even if you have Jesus as your, as your Savior, you will never arise to the call of God on all your life unless you face it and you do it in his power and his grace and mercy. See, in the next chapter of, De- of chapter five of Judges, after Cicero was defeated, Deborah writes in a whole entire chapter of this victory song about how the Israelites overcame Sisera and the Canaanites and how they used all these unexpected deliverers to bring forth God's redemption plan. See, I remember I told you that every human heart must and has to worship something, so it's to no surprise that it was a worship song that she did in regards to the victory. And we won't read that scripture, but it says, arise, awake, Deborah, break out, telling the candid details of this victory. You know what? Christ has a story just like that. It's called the Bible. This whole Bible is about God's victory plan for our lives. So if I ever could make a song and I can't sing, so I'm not going to, but I feel like it would be filled with scriptures like I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who's almighty, the one who was and is to come. I'm the one who's seated at a throne. When the angels look at me, they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And he would finish with saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sin? But thanks be to God that I have victory in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And I've had to sing songs over myself in this season. I have to do it every single day. I just wake up and I sing old school Fred Hammond song. I was just saying, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Yeah, there's a lot of weapons that have been formed against me, but none of them's prospering. I'm, I'm still here. I'm not, I'm not dead. I haven't taken myself out. I haven't ran from the call of God on my life. I'm still here. I'm still standing strong. And I was saying songs like, it's only for a moment. Yeah, this slight and momentary affliction is not worth to the glory that God is producing in me that I'll once see in heaven and I would begin to see things like mercy triumphs over judgment, and I remember having, when I was in that counseling center, God revealing that scripture to me. I was like, what does that mean? What does that mean? And then next thing you know, like two weeks later, a song comes out that says mercy triumphs over judgment that I just listen to over and over again. My grandma has a favorite old school gospel song, and it says my soul has been anchored, and I just sing that song over and over and over again. It says no matter what comes against me, my soul is still standing right here. Like, I'm not going to be shaken. I'm not going to be moved because God is my anchor. I'm not my anchor anymore. God is my anchor. And when I couldn't say anything else, I just cried out and said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, all the time. I was sitting in the car today just crying, thank you, Jesus. And lastly, one of the things that I knew was God's provision over my life is my friend Kristen and Dan who go to this church. One day I was just crying at the house and they just rocked me. This big old guy just rocked me. And they're just saying, they just begin to sing in this song that they just made up off the top of their head that says, grace to Shad soul. Grace to Shad soul. It's been God's grace that's been keeping me and nothing else. So will you let God make a victory song out of your life? You don't just have to read about a story about it. Let God make a story out of your life. Will you allow God to make you an unlikely deliverer in a situation that seems unredeemable? And will you arise to everything that God has called you to do? Amen? Amen? Let's pray. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up at this moment. And they're coming up for this one reason is that I'm going to have two prayer calls that I'm having. Number one is this. If you have never allowed Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, this is a call to repentance. You don't need to be people that have half-hearted rest. You need to know that your eternity is resting for God and that you are in oneness with him. And so as we're bowing our heads right now, I'm saying this. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to right now, just raise your hand. Okay. The second thing is this. You know that God is calling you to do something And he's not calling you just to pray it out, because praying only reveals more of who God is. He's causing you to arise. What is that thing that he's calling you to do? What is that thing that he's causing you, asking you to overcome that you feel like you can't? It's a call to action. You know, it's going to take every bit of God's grace. It's going to take all of his spirit, and it's going to take a little bit of your faith. But that's the thing that's going to provide healing for you. And if you're saying, God is calling me to be somebody or to do something or to bring some type of healing, if that's you you say, I need to arise and I need prayer for that, would you raise your hand? Awesome. So I'm going to pray. God, I pray that every hand that was rose, that they would not leave today without coming up to ask for prayer. If they want to accept you, as your Lord and Savior, that they would come and say, I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior right now. I need you to be the unexpected deliverer of my life. Or if they're saying, I need you to rise to the call of God on my life that I know I can't do out myself to forgive that person or to do something I've never done before in the midst of the circumstances, they would arise and they would come up. We thank you for this because it's only by your grace, mercy, and power that this can happen. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Can you stand your feet with me, please? prison for 11 or 12 months and tortured, facing a lot of persecution from the government. And he was asked, you know, don't you pray that God would stop this, this persecution? He said, you know, there has been more disciples made and more miracles that have happened in this persecution than anything. He said, I don't pray that God would take this load off my back. I pray that he would strengthen my back many of us have come in here with so many different things. And I am looking at this man right here. And I remember praying God take the weight off of his back last year. And I'm so thankful that God did not answer that prayer. Because I'm looking at this man. And God instead has, has given us, us a gift of such a stronger man. The hope of glory is Christ Jesus in him. So, what is that thing that maybe you're praying for and that God will so graciously not answer? Instead, He'll strengthen you. You've prayed many times, Paul says. I've prayed that He would take that, that thing from me, but God said, My grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in human weakness. He is perfect. Lord, I pray that these precious ones would be strengthened by your grace. Praise you. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, we're here for you. Some of you on Mother's Day is a difficult day for various reasons. We're here to pray for you too. Everyone else, happy Mother's Day. Same time, same place next week. We're dismissed. Thank you.